This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 32, First Round Strategies, The Ghosts of Creus. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. So what's the proper greeting? Is it hello? Like, what's the proper first thing to say on a podcast? Because we've never gotten it right. <laughs> <laughs> we, do, we haven't done the right word yet. Yeah, I think it's like, hey, 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 pull over. <laughs> I know you're driving to work right now. Pull over. Get in the shoulder right now. All right, you're going to sit in the shoulder for this one. Oh, you're going to be late for work? Oh, well, this this episode's probably going to be an hour and a half, maybe even two hours long because we be got worth so it. much we got to cover. Yeah. You're going to listen to this one in the in the shoulder. If you're in the shower right now, get out of the shower. Don't even dry off. No. and just You'll dry off. There's you, enough you, time. You'll dry. You'll, you'll dry. Na- we like it au natural. Sit on the toilet <laughs> or this one. Don't do any stuff. If you do any stuff, you have to pause. What's the other? Uh, where else do people listen to? Where at, else? At work, like literally. If while you they're... are at work, invite your boss into your office or cubicle. Let them hear the words I'm about to say right now. Hey, boss, your employee uh, has to take some time off right now. So, boss, get out of here. He's got a two-hour, or she, or they, have a two-hour episode of Space Cats Peace Turtles to listen to right now. Boss, get out of here. Get out of here. Hey, get out of here. We have some stuff to talk about um, tomorrow, Wednesday, May okay, 16th. Also, welcome oh. to Space Cats. Wait, I'm Matt Turner. I'm Jada Pake. I'm Jada Pake, and we are playing a game live on our YouTube channel tomorrow. That's Space Cats Peace Turtles on YouTube. We are playing at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We're playing with our good friend Alex. You've heard him on the show before. Yeah. We're playing with returning uh, live stream guests Keaton, John, and everyone's favorite child god king clancy the cult of clancy is back what does that mean for you dear listener that means uh we're gonna play a really stupid game of twilight imperium it will not be the dumbest thus far I the think. dumbest thus far every game uh every live game we've done we've tried to like up the ante on like stupid things that we can do the more we can make it not look like twilight imperium i think the better uh so tomorrow uh and if you're listening to this on tuesday at release time you have like 24 hours to get some input in on how to make this stream as good as possible. Uh, the ways you can do this are join our Discord. Discard. Discard. <laughs> join our Discard. Join our Discard. <laughs> Stop it. I'm Welcome editing- to the Discard. <laughs> I'm editing this out. <laughs> Uh, Welcome to the Discard. I'm going to reference it all episodes. The Discard. Welcome to the Discard. Welcome to the Discard. Uh, you can join that and you can take part in audience agendas this time around we don't want to draw actual agendas from the agenda deck that's what we did last time but it kind of just never quite worked because all the agendas are designed around the fact that we the players would be voting on them so this time we said hey everybody else make up agendas for us give us agendas custom agendas that like break the game and are inherently designed for outside forces to be voting on them uh these are agendas that feel more like environmental disasters than they do 
political scenarios. And that's that's the best ones. That's the best. The best ones are like something terrible, crazy happened. To put them yourself out. like make the agendas almost like your god, mm. and <laughs> something is going to happen that uh, none of the that is outside of everyone's right. control. Right. Basically. So um, you can do that. You've got twenty four hours left. We, we've we've got a bunch of top hitters in there, and uh, basically, if you're in our Discord. You vote on an agenda by giving them a Steve Martin uh, emoji, and that's how it gets kind of thrown in. And we'll take the top ten, and we will, when we have to do our own agendas, at the beginning of an agenda phase, we will roll a die. That will select one of our audience agendas. We'll throw a straw poll into the video chat, and everyone will vote through the entire course of us doing our own agenda. And then we will reveal the audience pick once the agenda phase is over. Those are crazy fun. The other thing that we're doing is what we did last time, the Cult of Clancy. Clancy is newer to the game. Um, in generally, he kind of doesn't really care about Twilight Imperium that he much. He really like it. He, <laughs> no, he likes it enough, I think, but he, he uh, is not wholly invested in himself doing well. So instead, you get to give him advice. We have a completely separate Discord channel in our uh, Discord server. And we, other players at the table, will not be allowed to look at that Discord channel, and you guys can give Clancy advice throughout the game. He'll take pictures of his action card hand, he'll show you his secret objectives, he'll tell you what he's got, you'll know everything about his faction and whatnot, and you will give him advice on how best to succeed in the game. Treat him like a robot yes. that you can program to do whatever but you But be want. very aware that sometimes the robot has a mind of his own and will go against your wishes. He's like an Imus DOS <laughs> robot where you might get the command line wrong yeah, and then right. like, he doesn't understand, it to, doesn't yeah. compute, so he does something else. <laughs> uh, the other thing we've been trying to do, we tried to do it last time, uh, is we want you to make our map for us. Uh, in Mac We Trust gave us a really cute, that's one of our space kitties, by the way. In Mac We Trust has been trying to develop a map for us that is like as chaotic as chaotic can get. And we think maybe we're doing too many things at once. Uh, in that regard, because the audience agendas are adding a lot. There's already a lot of chaos. I think I would. Uh, yeah. I, I think what it comes down to, actually, I mean, I'm down for a super chaotic game. The problem was we got to a point with the map where we were realizing that some of the audience, some of the really juicy audience yeah. agendas that we liked, didn't compute with the map. Because some some of the audience agendas are like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna swap some things around in a way that will be really inconvenient. The thing about the map that in Mac we trust made, which is an awesome map is that it's already super inconvenient. Right. So in some ways... The agendas any, don't become inconvenient for right, anyone. Right, <laughs> right. So like, it's. I feel like it's kind of one or the other. Yeah. Either we play on a map that is basically just completely a nuts. A bloodbath. Yeah. Or we play on a regular map and let the audience mess it up yes, as we go. Yes, exactly. And I, for now, I like the idea of making the audience stay kind of engaged, keep them going, give them reasons to want to, like, keep checking in on the game and, and shake things up. However, However, I feel like uh, his map has kind of inspired another stream that I would like to do down the road, which is uh, Space Cats Peace Turtles plays on an impossible map. Yeah, we will definitely do that in the future. I just don't think this will be the game for it. So there, there's a bunch of ways that you can get involved in this game that is happening tomorrow, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we don't talk about numbers very much on this show, but we are doing this stream because we are about to hit 100 thousand downloads and that's a big deal to us and we wanted to celebrate it and we want to celebrate it with you and we like playing twilight imperium and we want you to watch us play twilight imperium so why won't you join us we have an episode for you today. oh yeah i guess we have to do an episode yeah we gotta do an episode and it's we're already deep in this one and we got a lot to cover 
Uh, today we're talking about the Ghost of Creus and the Ghost Boo. of Creus. <laughs> Actually, boo. so let's Hunter. I want to. I want to start. I want to start this off. Wait, is my boo joke really hitting you like on the levels of it? <laughs> boo! I'm put, I'm doing a thumbs down, but I'm also dead. So we've done a Winu episode and a Muad episodes. In the beginning of both of those episodes, we were very like, "Oh, this was hard. This is a hard guide to make." This is different though because this the ghosts are actually are, the ghosts are really cool. Yes, the ghosts are like the, they're like a Ferrari, but then like the engine doesn't work. Right, like that's, prob- that's probably like hood. a famous thing with I don't know some kind of car. Insert people who know about cars. Yeah, like a car. Like do thing. Lamborghinis break easy? I don't know. Yeah, like is there like a really really nice like luxury car, but it's actually got like crap under the hood? Yeah, is yeah. that a thing? Probably. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we're doing the Ghost of Creus today. Hunter, I want to start today with an audio clip. We have a clip to what? play. This is from our interview with Dane Beltrami, and I think it will uh, shed some light on the rest of this Creus guide. All right, Dane, take it away. I want to uh, ask a fun question. Um, what What's your favorite race to play in Twilight Imperium? Hands down, Ghost of Creus. Yeah? Wow. Well, can you elaborate? Yep. Just like, what what is it about them that... I love mobility in games. Yeah. I love I love their aesthetic. Uh, I love their name. I love their <laughs> home system. I love their tech. Uh, just uh, everything. The Cre- yeah. the Creus are my people, and when they were released, like I came home, it was awesome. The designer of this board game we love and cherish so much. We're talking about his favorite race today. Yeah, this is this is Dane's thing, and I am about to dunk all over them for the next like hour and a half so dane if you're listening i'm sorry in advance um and what's funny to me is of the five things dane listed about why the creus rule three of them are non-game related i love their aesthetic i love their name (laughs) but the the other things that he pointed out are great their racial tech and their planet their home planet yeah both great things, and I completely agree there. Um, I think the Ghosts of Creus are... What kind of race is Ghosts of Creus? They are in our rankings, in our tier list. We said they, they were situational. Maybe I, the most situational? Absolutely. Yeah. I still stand by that 100%. Um, there's just so many weird things that happen with them. Uh, I also would categorize them as inherently aggressive. Yeah. Uh, people kind of noted this about Lizix last week. Lizix abilities, just by the very nature combat. of them, they're very they're combat. Uh, and Ghost is basically the same thing, except for like indirectly. But the only way to use their abilities, their mobility, is to get in other people's stuff, which is then inherently aggressive. Well, you could activate empty systems and oh, go there. You could That'd just be waste. Cool. Time, you sure could. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Hunter, thanks for that really good idea. <laughs> uh, so let's go over the ghost. You know who's inherently aggressive? Matt Martins. <laughs> uh, let's let's go over their abilities. Let's try to run through these fairly fast um, because there's a lot of other stuff to talk about. Quantum entanglement. You treat all systems that contain either an alpha or a beta wormhole as adjacent to each other. Game effects cannot prevent you from using this ability. That last sentence is very important to this race being even, like, if they didn't have that sentence, this race would be even more situational because there are multiple things that, like, break wormholes. Right. So, um, 
you always get to go through any wormhole to get to any other wormhole, that not including your home system wormhole. Slipstream, during your tactical actions, apply plus one to the move value of each of your ships that starts its movement in your home system or in a system that contains either an alpha or beta wormhole. This is really the ability. I yeah. mean, the, the, the sharing wormholes is, is a huge deal as well, but this is the ability that makes them good. Mm-hmm. This 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 is what gives them mobility, and this is kind of like what makes them do something different than any other faction. Yeah. If they could just go through any wormhole, it would not be like a huge deal. They just have a couple more options than other factions. But the fact that they also get plus one movement as long as they start in a wormhole, that's a big deal. And we are going to do our best in this guy to control that. Because we want to maximize the amount of chances and opportunities you get to use this ability. Right. Because that's the strength of the faction. Mm-hmm. Uh, their third ability is kind of the weirdest one, but it's just to point out they do not start the game on the board. <laughs> they have Creus Gate. When you create the game board, you place the Creus Gate, tile 17, where your home system would normally be placed. The Creus Gate system is not a home system. Then place your home system tile, which is the weird one with the squiggly edges. Uh, you place that in your play area. So you exist off the map and the Creus Gate and your Creus home tile are connected by a wormhole that wormhole is also connected to your hill kalish flagship your phil collins your phil collins and this ship's system contains a delta wormhole during movement this ship may move before or after your other ships that last part is only in there so that you can kind of actually use the ability sometimes you send the flagship to a spot and then send everything else to the destination sometimes you send things through your flagship to go back home and then send your flagship back home as well. There's kind of multiple ways you can maneuver this, but basically your flagship is always connected to your home system, which is great. Super cool flagship. Uh, It sustains damage. It's it's otherwise a fairly standard flagship. It hits one on a five. It's the only flagship that is guaranteed to only roll one die. It's it's a nerfed version of two on a five, but they didn't want to do two on a seven. It's one on a five. And I'll say this much. The reason for that, to me, is because of what one of their faction technologies right, is. Right, you're right. So their faction tech is, there's the good one. <laughs> uh, and that's Dimensional Splicer. It's one red. And at the start of a space combat in a system that contains a wormhole and one or more of your ships, you may produce one hit and assign it to one of your opponent's ships. It's worth noting that because your flagship is a wormhole, it can always use dimensional splicer. So that means when you have dimensional splicer and your flagship... And assault cannon. You're always scoring a hit. If you have assault cannon, you're scoring two hits before any combat. It gets really cool. It is, a, it is an awesome technology. Their other one is two blues. It's wormhole generator. At the start of the status phase, place or move a Creus wormhole token into either a system that contains a planet you control or a non-home system that does not contain any player's ships. Um... The Creus wormhole tokens are things the Creus start with. It's just one alpha and one beta wormhole that you can place on the map. So you're just adding alphas and betas to the map wherever wherever you choose. It's worth noting that like if you already had an alpha down and you use wormhole generator to move an alpha wormhole, you're not doubling the amount of mm-hmm. alphas. You're, you're literally changing the location of that single alpha wormhole Can we go token. ahead and note that in this episode we are essentially going to sidestep wormhole generator yep, we don't care about wormhole generator yeah. we, this is probably like the last time you'll hear us talk about it except for if you have the secret objective to have two faction technologies yeah to me that's the only time you're ever going to get wormhole generator save for the meta working really hard against you right because you have 
the most... The weirdest promissory note. The most, like, corner case <laughs> promissory note in the game. I actually We makes... love to be, like, hyperbolic on this show. We're like, this is the craziest thing in the game. This is the best thing in the game. There's probably, like, four promissory notes we have said are the best promissory note well, in the I game. Well, I feel like you're very hyperbolic. I'm hyperbolic. You've done it, too. Don't Ooh, even. Never. Don't even. I have never, ever in my life, <laughs> even for a second. Uh-huh been whatever it is we're talking whatever about. hyperbolic means yeah. uh you have the creus iff at the start of your turn this is the person that you give the promissory note uh at the start of your turn during the action phase place or move a creus wormhole token into either a system that contains a planet you control or a non-home system that does not contain another player's ships then return this card to the creus player you are giving someone racial tech that you do not own yet and they get to use it better than you get to use your racial tech. Because your racial tech is during the status phase. This is during the action phase. The promissory note is so weird because nobody ever wants it. Nobody cares that you have it. You care that you have it. <laughs> and you are going to try to sell it to people. By that I mean you will pay people to take your promissory note. Yes. No one ever has a need for your promissory note except for like crazy i don't know off the wall scenarios that are not worth bringing up because they are so 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 situational in almost every game you are going to be trying to get your promissory note into other people's hands and it's going to cost you to do that this is essentially how you're going to completely sidestep wormhole generator yes, you this don't, is why wormhole generator isn't that really great worth. because you can just do this um and the only other things to note goes to Creus, so they have four commodities, so they are a great commodity race, yeah. and their home system is a 4-2, which is a objectively pretty That's decent good. home planet, uh, but beyond that, last week we talked about the L1Z1X as having the second best monetary start in the game. If you yeah, give everything a value, of, out, no, right. no, the best, outside of Jolnar, they're the second best. Right. So, uh... The the whole point here then is if we use that same metric to define the Ghost of Creus, the Ghost of Creus has the worst start in the game. They have one less resource monetarily than even the Winu. Mm -hmm. You start with one carrier, two destroyers, two fighters, four infantry, and one space dock, and you also start with the gravity drive uh, technology, which is the one that gives you plus one to a single unit during an activation which is i mean it's a great so here's the, you start with a better here tag. here's the point of the ghost of Creus. while monetarily they have the worst start in the game you have enough things it's all all this stuff is shaped in enough ways that it actually ends up being an okay start they i will not i would not myself say that the ghost of Creus have the worst start in the game they have a in some ways a rough start but the fact that you have plus one movement from your home system and you start with gravity drive, so you have plus two movement. Plus several movement. Plus, you're, you're doing just fine. The the gist is, a Ghost of Creus player can kind of get to whatever system they want to at the start of the that's game. That's essentially the race. That's that's the whole the point. Faction. That's the point of the faction, is like, round one, you take the best planet in your high, pie slice. You do not care about it being, like, directly adjacent to your home slice. You just take whatever's great. Let's say this. Um, I, I kind of want to get this out at this point of the episode. Matt, are you, a, like, because... You kind of led, we led with that Dane quote, yep. and you were like, oh, I'm going to dunk on this race. Yep. Uh, you've, you've laid out the abilities now. They sound really, really cool. Um, and I realize we've kind of set ourselves up to say, like, this is not necessarily as cool as it sounds, or, like, there are some right. pitfalls, some problems. But before we get into all of that, Matt, uh, 
Do you love the Ghosts of Creus? I is do not, this a faction that you love? I do not love them, but I am... I played five games as Ghosts in preparation for this guide. That's the most I've played with any... I, I talked about how I played a bunch of games as Winu. I played even more as Ghosts to try to prep this guide. And um, every time I started a game... I had the idea of what I wanted to do that game, and I was excited. I was mm -hmm. excited to try that new thing. It was really cool. It had some quirks to it, but it seemed like it was solid enough that it would work. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't grasping at straws to make some crazy strategy work. It was like, no, 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 this makes sense and has a path to victory. Right. And every time, or almost every time, something so wild would happen or, or something would mess up in such a crazy way that I would lose my opportunity to, to do what I was trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, whether it be like a meta text or a meta game targeting me or whatever, the game kept messing up for me as the Ghost of Creus. I'll say this much. I am not a great person to play as the Ghost of Creus. Mm -hmm. If the Ghost of Creus are inherently aggressive, Hunter already pointed out, so am I <laughs> as a player. So combining the two of us means the potential for aggression puts everyone on edge at the table. Mm -hmm. I, I am already, like, starting with enemies before the game has even started when I play as Ghost of Creus. Right, right. People don't like me being the Ghost of Creus. Right. And I mean, I feel like Matt has a problem with overexpanding or overextending when he plays really any, any race. Yep. But Ghost of Creus literally are that's covered their, with overextension. Yes. And that's so, like what, that's what the ghosts do, is overextend themselves. Yeah. yeah. So this guide... Uh, to be just like frank with you, it's coming from that perspective. It's coming from the perspective of I had to do everything in my power to like hold myself back from playing my normal kind of aggressive way. And so the what you're about to get is a guide that hopefully is as conservative as I could make it while still using the ghost abilities. We could make a guide that's just like, don't use the abilities, don't do anything cool, and... Yeah, but that's not us. That's not we that's want I want you to play the Ghost of Creus. I want you to do some cool stuff. And so I came up with what I think is the most consistent way to score points and win as Ghost of Creus. Right. A lot of the problems of Ghost of Creus come in doing cool stuff that doesn't do anything for you. That was always how I would define Ghost of Creus in TI3. Mm -hmm. It was kind of the same thing with Clan Asar, but like Ghost of Creus was the biggest problem of It's cuz their their they, ability doesn't get you VP. Right. It does cool stuff, but n not for objectives. It's but it, it is like it is such a sexy race. They are the most <laughs> like like of all the races that I think struggle in games. Like if we're talking Winu, if we're talking Sardaknor, yep. if we're talking the races that that struggle, Ghost has always been like, but they're so cool. Right. I don't care that I'm struggling. It's like wacky and fun and yeah. Off the and wall. you like you get a lot of crazy stories of Ghost players pulling off like really insane yeah. combinations. Like even Dane had that story where he was talking about how he he had the extra flagship yeah. parked in, in the his... home system and was shooting through <laughs> the wormholes. Like it's that's wild. literally that's completely insane. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So let's before we get into like what I'm gonna like truly recommend, I want to get some things out of the way. Yeah, I want to talk. Here's let, the like the cool stuff that you might that there's a lot of carrots on yeah. sticks because they are so cool. Right. Our Discord knew I've been working on this Ghost of Creus guide, and people were kind of constantly sending me messages and like things they've tried, and there have been posts on Reddit recently of just like things people have tried with Ghost of Creus. I'm not here to say your idea is bad and it's not going to work. 
but I want to put some things and say why they never worked for me and why I don't think they're the safest route you could go down. All of these things are, sometimes they work, and they work great, and right. you run away with the game, because Ghost of Creates is a situational race, and that's always going to be the case with a situational race, is sometimes the situation is it's, there. Yeah, it's it, right. It's uh, right. And there's going to be, for all of the little, for everything we're about to spell out in the episode, there are going to be anecdotes of people saying like, uh-uh, you're wrong, we did right. this and it worked. Right. But that's why we're really trying to lay down the groundwork of, we are trying to give you the conservative, the, the thing that probably works the most often. Right. right, the safest bet. Yeah. So what are not safe bets? What are the pitfalls of Creus? Um, the first thing is people saying that Dimensional Splicer is so good, you need to get it as fast as possible. It's a free hit. It is a free hit anywhere where there's a wormhole. Yeah. A free hit is not a, not a thing to scoff at, and especially early when people don't have that many ships. Like, Dimensional Splicer only gets worse as the game goes on, yeah. you could argue, right? Because right. as people get big, flip, big fleets, one hit isn't turning the tide of battle. Right, but you doing an early aggressive move where you go through a wormhole, right. destroy that one carrier, that, that's, a, that's it. Holy cow, wow. Yeah. Um, the problem with this strategy is... Uh, and especially if you are me, <laughs> you will have no friends at the table. There will be no one on your side um, to go through wormholes and target stuff. It, it's like a yin kind of play, right? People talk right. about the destroyers in the same way as with yin. Like, if you just target people to blow their stuff up, first off, you are rarely getting anything out of it besides hurting someone else. Right. So it's more a kneecapping mechanic than it is anything else. And... You're just not getting any friends. Like, you you as the ghosts kind of only exist when you have good friends at the table. I mean, I think more so to the point, the, the, the real core problem is you're writing a check you can't cash. Yes. Early game ghost is not, oh, I can go through this wormhole and really mess this guy up. Right. And I can afford to do that sure. like i can afford to hold on to this and like nope. keep it no you cannot if you, you if you rush for dimensional splicer to me it means you will not be able to back yeah. up the play that you're going the, the biggest problem too is yeah you, you'll be good at space combat but what are you getting on the other side of that there are only a couple of objectives that have to do with winning a space combat right you need to get planets right and so what you like essentially even if you pop through the wormhole destroy a ship Take a planet that you needed for the VP. You're not going to hold it. It's yeah. too early. You are you took, not going to hold it. You took one ground force, and it's just it's too soon. Uh, the next thing, this is one people love, 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 and we've seen it work. I have seen this work, um, and that is that planetary defense system two deep space cannons seem they seem awesome with all the wormholes and the way that your flagship can work with them. If you plop a bunch of PDS down on planets that have wormholes in them. You're going to be firing PDS-2 like anywhere you want. If you put some on your f home system, you're firing them uh, with your flagship. You can shoot more spots than anybody. Yeah, you, you can, just You're just like shooting fish in all the barrels. It's amazing. Two problems with that is, as with anything, the same problem with Dimensional Splicer is this only is relevant where wormholes are, and you only have a tiny bit of control over where those wormholes are going to end up. The rest of it is purely circumstantial. Uh, something we didn't even note about Dimensional Splicer is Dimensional Splicer is best defensively. In your pie slice, where you can better control where wormholes might be, that, that, that automatic hit is great. Same thing with PDS. PDS is not an offensive unit. It is so hard, and it requires a lot of setup and no victory point gain to get these like crazy PDS2s firing out of stuff. Right. The first game um, that we played with our friend Doug, he tried this crazy strategy where he gave hunter support for the throne so that hunter would put 
his wormholes wherever he wanted, and he was trying to set up a PDS network that was just going to, like, light people up in the late game. But it took a lot of setup, and he had to give away too much to get it going to where that's why he kind of handed the victory to Hunter. He was paying Hunter to get this stuff down, and it it was benefiting Hunter more than it was benefiting Doug. For sure. Because all, all Doug's doing is firing some PDS shots every once in a while. That's not getting you any victory points. That's not doing anything for you. It was also a game where I was playing Soul, so I did not need the help. Right. You know what I mean? It was right. just like... Yeah. Uh, so that, there's a there's a anecdote thing. But the point is, PDS are almost never getting you VPs, except for one secret objective. And also, my other big point is going to be, you can switch into this strategy late game. You do not need to rush for it early. Mm-hmm. I, I do not like when people just try to get these PDS2s going as fast as possible, because I think you sacrifice a lot along the way. Uh, the next pitfall is, my fleets are so fast early, I can take any planet I want. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of suggested this even in describing them. Like you can get any planet in your pie slice that you want, but I want to make sure I stress in your pie slice, you can get to that planet adjacent to, to, to Mechatol Rex with your first action with your carrier. You don't have to do any right. shenanigans. You can just go to the planet adjacent to Mechatol Rex. Uh, you can even go to the equidistant systems between you and your neighbors. That's a little bit risky. And the reason being, if you can go anywhere, let's say I jump through a wormhole, I go across the map, I take a planet on the other side of the map. Okay, well, most of my fleet is now over there and I'm invading in someone else's territory. I just like threatened that person. I got in their way. I have just made a very, very strong enemy. Ooh, yeah. And I want to play this out completely, like really stress this to you. So the way this works, like think about it this way. Early game. You go through the wormhole. You take, oh, you didn't think I could get there. I'm there, and I took that planet, and now it's mine. Okay, well, now you've got the whatever. If it was an equidistant system, oh, my God. Now you have two players yep. on the other side of the table that are I like, did this. get him out. <laughs> yep. And also, you have two neighbors. Your pie slice, by nature of like yep. the, what, the move that you made, is now weaker. Right. So you have made four enemies in one activation (laughs) and maybe they're not enemies like strictly enemies but they're looking at you being like hmm yes you have two people that you invaded their stuff and they're mad at you and you have two people that go hey that looks a little ripe for the plucking i could i could jump in there and steal some stuff from ghosts the problem is the meta comes out against you hard if you try and be really aggressive. Every single time. Yeah. Every time. So my suggestion is use those fast fleets, but use them to take the best things in your pie slice. Start negotiating with people. Get those destroyers out to neighbors. You can use your fast, fast fleets early, but you do not want to use them aggressively You don't want early. to overextend. Right. And the last one is... Dreadnought 2 with light wave deflector would be awesome. You jump through a wormhole, you go through somebody else's system, you can just like get anywhere. You have a ton of mobility. Light wave deflector and Dread 2s would be amazing. Let's just go hard blue. Um, my problem with this one is that's a big late game push. You're getting a lot of tech. You're getting three more blues, a yellow, and an upgrade to get to finally now this strategy is going to work. Along the way, it doesn't do a lot for you. And only until you have Lightwave and Dread 2 is it useful. Investing in the late game as the Ghost of Krius, I think, assumes you can even make it that far. And in my games as Krius, I was never able to make that assumption. Right. I think you play in the moment. You, you can only 
do what exists in the round that you're in and maybe like looking ahead to the next round. But beyond that, it is hard to make plans as the Ghost of Creus because you're situational. And I would even argue it doesn't play to your interests. Your mobility means that you can pounce on things when they come up. You can right. pounce on opportunities that no one else is looking at. And it is better to leave yourself open to every situation rather than go gung-ho for one situation. So the rest of my guide is going to be how can we mitigate the situational problems yeah what, as the is, ghost what is always going to come up what is always right. going to happen so what isn't situational as the ghost of Creus? what can right. we rely on uh the first thing and i'll talk about this when we get into map placement even more but you need influence you need influence big time because again you are always going to be looking to capitalize on opportunities Ooh, you left that planet completely undefended and i can easily get there because my carriers have such crazy movement right, right i just need the command counters to always be able to dedicate to that your home system is a 4-2, which means you're never using your home system to buy command counters. Mm -hmm. So you need influence elsewhere. You will always need influence because you need to be constantly getting as many command counters as possible. I would say more so than any other faction in the game, Ghosts of Creus needs to be investing in command counters. If you think about it, it makes sense because we're talking about a race that can pop through a wormhole and take a planet that somebody else didn't expect. Now, er early on, I do feel like across the board, that's going to be not a, a, great not a great play. But... If you get to the point where you're ahead in the command counter economy yep. and you're watching other people's sheets and being like, wow, those two are, if I take this right now, if I send a little force, grab that, and I score that VP, they will not be able to respond. That is the yes. type of ghost play that we're talking about. Right. Not a, well, I'm here I'm now. I'm just here now. I just <laughs> decided to do it and, right. and you're going to hate but the it. the only way you're going to be able to play like that is if your command counter economy is ahead of other players. Yep. Always have to have extra command counters ready to go. Yeah. Um, the next non-situational thing. You're a surprise race. You are surprised. Right? You need surprises. So what, what goes What's with the that? Hunter, what is the best surprise race? Isarl. Isarl Travis. It's Why? Duh. Why? Because action cards. Because they start with Neural Motivator. Yep. Because they have no limit on their hand size. Yep. And because they get to prune their hand. Right. Ghost of Creus is like a mini Isarl. They are not as good at doing all the things that Isarl does best, but they have... But they similar are, strengths. They are better at popping up where they're not supposed right. to be. Right. And so to do that, you need to get Neural Motivator. You just have to. You yeah. 100% of the time, I'm going to argue Neural Motivator needs to be your very, very first technology. Right. Uh, if you ask some people in the community, they will say that's the case for every single faction. And maybe they're right. I don't know. We haven't made that claim yet. But with Ghost of Creus, that is definitely true. Um, if you're looking to capitalize on situational things... You need action cards that help you protect those situational strategies. You need to be able to throw out some shields holding because you're going to be doing stuff with like kind of weak forces a lot of the time. So you need action cards to protect you. Having a flank speed at an opportune time will be awesome for you to get in that extra spot nobody mm -hmm. expected. The more action cards you can get and the more often you can play them, the better. You are not looking to just bank a bunch like Asarl are. That's why Asarl is powerful. They can just hold on to action cards and then be like the crazy playmaker at the end right, of the game. Right. Ghosts are kind of spreading this out throughout the entire game. They're making little plays all game with their situational nature. Yeah. Uh, the next not situational thing is you have four commodities. You, you should you can get all over the map. You should be great at trade. Um, I was always, no matter how the rest of my game went, I was always able to make a lot of money round one. Right. Because you can get those, you start with two destroyers that can get four spaces away. You can get a, 
adjacent to people's home systems or adjacent to people's expanded fleets. And you can say, hey, this destroyer is just here so that we can trade. And you've got four commodities to do it. So you should be able to make some money round one and even throughout the entire game. You right. are a good trade partner, hands down. Especially since your uh, promissory note is like you're going to be trying to sell it. There's just like a lot of weird meta quirks to the Ghost of Creus that make them a good trade partner. And you need to be pushing that because the other situation or non-situational thing is you need to avoid seeming aggressive because like we said, you are inherently aggressive. Your default mode is aggressive actions. So early on, someone's going to become your enemy because they're just going to be threatened by what you're even doing. It doesn't even have to be the person you're attacking, but like if you go somewhere, you're not supposed to necessarily be someone on the table is going to take that as a threat. I have never seen a ghost player do well uh, if they made an aggressive early play, yeah, basically. So like you have to avoid, you have to avoid those situations like what we described earlier, where oh now I have four enemies. We you need to create a hey I'm a I'm just a friendly I'm Casper the friendly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, that's we, exactly we want right. to be Casper the friendly. We want to be Casper the friendly ghost, not Casper the meanie ghost. No. Not as weird cousins or whatever they are. I, I remember know. that one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's actually talk about the game. We, we've gone on for a long time now, and we haven't even talked about like what our strategies are. But I thought it was very important to put other strategies at rest so that you understand like we are now kind of putting the blinders on. Yes. At least for the, first, the, the early game, this first round strategy is going to be very ignoring lots of other situations. Right, right. And I want to say up at the front of this, if other situations arise where that PDS strategy actually looks great or whatever, go for it. Like, try it. Try it in your game. Because like we said, the situations didn't work for us. We're going to give you what works the most often. But I bet there's going to be situations where you try what we're going for and it doesn't work because the other factions on the board <laughs> completely counter what we are going to try to do. Right. That is the nature of the ghosts. So let's talk about what I think is best to do as the ghost of Creus. Right. All right, let's talk about map placement. What kind of pie slice are we looking for? We've sat down. We're going to play as ghosts. We've, you know, we've made the galaxy. Yep. What are we looking for? Obviously, we want all the wormholes, right? Every single <laughs> one of them. We want them all, right? No! <laughs> that is the first common misconception with the Ghost of Creus, and it was one that I was subject to for a long time. I thought, if I can get the more wormholes I can get in my pie slice, the better, because then I can, like, really jump around and do stuff. Mm -hmm. Or at the very least, I always thought, you have to have one wormhole in your pie slice. Right. If you don't have one wormhole adjacent to your Creus gate, you're in trouble, is what right. I used to think. No, absolutely not. You're going to create wormholes. You're going to create Creus IFF wormholes, and the best way to do that is to put Creus IFF wormholes in your pie slice, because that is the least threatening place that you can put right. or Creus IFF wormholes. People are threatened when you're like, hey, put this over in Jimmy's pie slice. They're like, well, what do you got against Jimmy? I don't know if I like... <laughs> I, Jimmy's been perfectly nice to me. But if you're just like, hey, man, put it in my pie slice. It won't be a big deal. Right. People are usually willing to look at that and go, eh, okay, fine. It's not that threatening. Yeah. And it doesn't cost you very much. Right. And in some ways, it, they might even be like, oh, cool. Now he'll be open to me coming. Exactly. You know, they like find ways that they can take advantage of it. And you're kind of looking for that. The other thing is... You want influence. Right. You, like, we already talked We've about this, this case. but you need influence so bad. I would, in almost every single situation, I will pick the pie slice that grants me the most influence over anything else. Right. I would even take a pie slice that's, like, two resources and ten influence. That is an extreme thing to say, but based on my experience so far, I can get my money elsewhere. Right. I can get my trade goods out trade, there. Like, I yeah. can get resources elsewhere. I 
desperately need the influence to buy command counters. God, this is something that we figured out so late yep. in this of just being like each each race has like a do they want more resource or do they want more mm-hmm. influence? But this is definitely an definitely influence race. I will say I would like to have one wormhole in my pie slice. Yeah. It is not crucial, but having one is nice because it uh, it's going to increase your mobility. It's going to help you do better right. because you have four systems technically in your home slice, what we call the home slice. And you have two Krius gates that you can put down. So if you can make three out of those four systems have a wormhole, that's great. You're going to be, like, super, super solid for the entire game. But if you don't have a single wormhole in your... Like, that's not that bad. It's not so bad. you have grav drive. Like, you, right. you, you're you already killing it in yes. the mobility department. Yes. You're going to be fine. So let's talk about strategy cards. Yeah. Uh, this is another case that is very situational. Again, there are lots of arguments for lots of strategy cards in this arena. But I'm going to talk about the thing that I think benefits you the most. I like your pick. I want to say that. I, I feel confident that yeah. this is the best round one pick. You need trade. Yeah. Get trade. If you do not get trade, get politics. Now, the round two play is actually where things get money. This is not the same as Lizix. Lizix, we said get tech or get politics so that round so two you can get tech. tech. Right. Well, I'm not saying that round two you need trade. Right. But you do want politics because you want some action cards and you want speaker token mm-hmm. for round two. Because if you weren't able to get trade, it means you weren't able to pick what you necessarily wanted. And you just need to get rid of the situational nature. You need to be able to rely on something. This is, this is one of those races where we have a lot of stuff that we need to get done. There's a lot of things that need to be purchased. Mm-hmm. We need to buy some tech. We need to buy... Um, we need to use the secondary warfare yep. to build units. Yep. Um, so that's why trade is facilitating that. Um, this has, this and you have the ability to to take advantage of it. Right. Three trade goods is great, but like again, we said you can get those destroyers out there and trade with somebody, and somebody's going to want to trade with you. Mm-hmm. So taking trade uh, puts you in control of those negotiations. Hey, it's me or nobody. Right. I'm the one who decides who refreshes commodities. Trade gives you the most opportunities to make the most money. Every time I picked trade as the Ghost of Creus, I would end up having like nine resources plus my home system. Mm-hmm. because you're just able, you know, if, if if Hakan is at the table and you take trade, you can hold Hakan over the barrel. And it won't even be, like, that much of a threat, but you can do a four for six trade with Hakan. It worked yeah. twice for me. Right, There's there because Hakan literally has no other option. Yeah. Hakan can say yes and or, get some, make some money or say no and make no money. And that that's kind of the power. Yeah. Especially of, round one, no one's going to do the second. No one's going to pay to do the secondary of ooh, trade. And this is just a good time to throw this out there. If, like... Hakan ha- like doesn't have the money to say no. Right. Just so you know. Right. Like, like Hakan has poor. to say yes. Yeah. They are poor. They need money. So yeah. doing the a first four for round s- anyways. Do- first doing round. a four for six with Hakan is great. Doing two two for threes with other people is great. Whatever it takes, but like try to maximize the amount of money you're gonna get. Uh, and if you couldn't do trade, again, get politics, mostly because action cards are great. And here's my other big play with the Ghost of Creus is if you take politics, you just made the speaker token, one of your bargaining chips. Yes, get and, some money. Um, for me, I think it's very important to get the Creus IFF promissory note out there as fast as possible. Ooh, okay, because that. because you want to put wormholes in your pie slice. That's the that's the best use of the the promissory note is getting wormholes in your pie slice, so that no matter what, if your units are protecting your stuff in your pie slice, they have that bonus movement. It always stinks when you have a planet in your pie slice that doesn't have a wormhole. 
suddenly you don't have the Ghost of Creus ability. Like, right. now that is useless. So, for me, if I could have a wormhole in every single tile in my home system, that is ideal. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Um, but like I said, three out of four is great. Once you get to half, it starts to, like, hurt you a little bit. So, okay, so let's say you can't get trade, you can't get politics. What are we going for? Um, I, I toyed around a lot with, like, I think leadership is a great pick. Again, we need command counters. We just need to get as many as possible. I want to say a point for leadership real quick. Um, the, one of the things I like about the leadership pick, uh, we, we've already established that you really need command counters, obviously. Yep. But, um, and we've kind of, like, at this point in the meta... People taking diplomacy round one happens less and less, and people yeah. are kind of like more of the opinion that it isn't smart to pick. Yep. But if for some reason someone does pick diplomacy and you have taken leadership, you will have enough command counters yep. to be like, oh, well, I don't have trade, but who cares? Right. I can do the secondary diplomacy. I can also do the secondary tech I, or uh, yeah. warfare and tech, and it gives you just so many options, and right. that's what you're looking for. Right. Uh, another great one, obviously, is warfare because warfare is always useful. Yeah. If I get warfare, I'm looking to build a carrier in my home system and pull that command counter to send that second carrier out to another system. I'm going to take two systems in my home slice and leave them both defended. Be careful uh, if, if you do it that way that you don't mess up uh, and not get any tech for yourself, though. That's the scary thing about warfare. Is right. Depending on timing, you might... This is why we want trade more than anything else because we really do want to build a... A second carrier, three resources we need right there, and we really do want to get Neural Motivator around one. So we, just we're tra- planning to spend our home system, our home planet... On tech. That trade is the plan. Is, trade is the best because you get to do both. all the things right. that you needed to Yeah, do. trade guarantees you both those things, and you're probably going to get some extra money on top of it. Right. Um, so, again, the secondaries you want to do are, in this order, warfare and then tech. I think getting that carrier is more important. If you, for some reason, can't get the money that you need, you want the carrier more. You need to expand. You need to solidify your pie slice before you get neural. You can get neural motivator round two, and that is okay. Yeah. But you do need that carrier. You gotta do your homework. But the goal, the real goal, is to do both. Yeah. Do warfare, do the secondary of tech. Um, So, again, let's go back to the Creus IFF thing. If I. The promissory note. The promissory note. The the one rule with Creus IFF is nobody else's units can be there Mm -hmm. for, for somebody else. If I give it to Hunter, Hunter can't place it anywhere where I have units. So, I need him to place it down in planets I'm going to control, but don't control yet. Yes. Creus IFF gets harder and harder to use as the game goes on because units start being everywhere. But early game, there's nothing there. So, it, it is definitely your goal to get your stuff out to people and have them place it as fast as possible. There is no better way to do this cheaply than to give the player to your right the speaker token. Yeah. You're still going to pick second. That's totally fine. I'm not that worried about getting like the perfect strategy card round yeah, two. Yeah. Picking second is great. And I don't have to pay them anything. I have, I cannot foresee a situation where I'm like, hey, I'll give you speaker token to put my Creus IFF somewhere. And the alternative is I'll give myself speaker token and you'll go last. So what do you want to do, Hunter? Do you want to pick first or do you want to pick last next right. round? Right, They're right. going it's to a take, good deal. It's a really good deal and it costs you nothing, almost nothing. It, is support for the throne too much to pay? It is nice because you have a buddy. You have a really right, good you have buddy. somebody who's not going to come up your butt. Yeah, but I just think, um, I, I don't know. You know what? I'll say this much. It's not something I would do, but everyone knows that I don't like giving out support for the throne early. And in groups where, like, this is a regular thing, I'm going to go ahead and say, absolutely, yes, you do want to do that. Because if it's something that's already happening at your table, you need to get in on that. And that's a great... But is Creus IFF that important to get down? I think you should be getting other stuff, too. I think it should be Creus IFF and some trade goods. Mm -hmm. Here's the big problem with it, is you can't give them both at once. Of course. You have to trade... 
Kratos IFF, and then you give them support for the throne. And which are you doing where, first? Right. And like, it gets muddy, and it's just kind of a scary deal. Um, if you're a group, love support for the throne, and it and they all get tossed around, maybe it's an okay deal. But I'm gonna say, generally speaking, it is too high a cost because for me. You can get the Kreas IFF out there for like one trade good. And that yeah. should be the goal is like yeah. one trade good or giving someone speaker token. If you have to pay very much to do it early, it is not worth doing it early because you can get it out later. It just becomes more difficult as the game goes on. Also, of course, this is the only other time we're going to mention this tech. But if your meta, if your table is so opposed to Kreas yeah. IFF, this is why you have Wormhole Generator. Right. You have it's a the backup only plan. reason you have it. You and it is your backup and it's not a great backup, but it is a backup. Right. You should not be, you should never spend more than I would say three trade goods on Kreas IFF. Yeah. And I would not spend three in the first round. Absolutely yeah. not. No. But, like, but like round four, it maybe becomes that. It might cost that much. I think your speaker token play is it's the best like, way to do that's it. That's the best one. And like, tr like round one, yeah, no, not a support for the throne. Yeah. <laughs> That's why, to me, there was almost some debate of maybe I just want politics more than I want trade. But trade's great. If you're playing a three- or four-player game, get trade and you have, too, you have too many needs. You have, you have too many yeah. needs is the problem. So, uh, like we said, get your carrier. Uh, my next thing is the rest of your money that you have, I think you should start amassing infantry and fighters. And this kind of shows my hand of where we're going to go next. But the fact that we get Neural Motivator first opens us up to some specific tech paths. And we're going to plug some holes later on. I'll say this much. Two times I bought my flagship round one. And I, within two rounds, regretted it intensely. Messed up. Messed up. Here's the two, here's the two routes as Ghost of Krius with like early games setting up your stuff. The, the first couple rounds, you are not looking to get into other people's stuff because you're trying to fix your start. Uh, the best thing you can do is you have to get an outside space dock set up. Find mm -hmm. the best planet in your pie slice, preferably the closer to Mechatol Rex, the better. I think preferably the one that you put Kreis, your Kreis IFF token in. Absolutely, like in absolutely. A good system that you, you want can hold and yes. have a space dock. Bergler to four, if that's in your no, pie slice, baby. or if that's like an equidistant, yummy. Get it and yum, put a space yum. dock. <laughs> put a space dock there. Um, the only reason I would get the flagship, the Phil Collinch, is if that became impossible for me. Right. If someone blew up my space dock or something happened where I just couldn't ever get my early space dock, then I might need my flagship. Right. But if that doesn't happen, having a forward space dock is more than enough to get you all the mobility you're going to need all game. Right, right. And he did such a good job on the Tarzan soundtrack. Anyways. <laughs> um, so I'm going to want you to start getting infantry and fighters, and you need to get Neural Motivator. Right. You're well, probably start, getting it around one. about the mid game, because yes. we've, we've got all of our early games. Let's hope, here's what, we, here's what you hope you set up round one. This is like the picture-perfect look for Ghost of Krius round one. You put two wormhole tokens down, that's really tricky. Most often you're only going to get one down, so don't plan on getting two down. But if you get lucky, you get two of your wormhole tokens down in your pie slice. Maybe one of your other planets is also a wormhole. You took two planets with a carrier you built off a of warfare. Sorry, not two planets, but two systems. You got Neural Motivator, and your fleet looks okay. Next round, you're probably going to need to boost up your fleet a little bit. But uh, more importantly, you didn't make any big enemies in round two and going into the future. You want to start really getting some friends. You are a wonderful trade partner. You are so great for people to have a trade. The worst game I had was one where my two neighbors both also had four commodities. That sucks as ghosts. As ghosts, it's really great when you're like one of the only four commodity right. uh, people on the at the board because you need that leverage. 
if they if they can just go somewhere else for their four commodities, you lose a lot of um, well. I think in, room. I think in situations where you've got a lot of four commodity races, you're going to have to take the trade strategy card more often. Yes, because yeah. the trade having the trade strategy card is the leverage. Right, um, but you still have that mobility, so you can get all over. Uh, you should use your wormholes peacefully. Keep your stuff parked in your home system and be like, hey, if you just go park on your alpha that's over there, you and I can trade. Let's do that. Let's trade right now. And like, look for people to open up those opportunities with. Find ways to be peaceful at the board because you are, again, working against the fact that they know that you could kind of do anything at any point. Right. Maybe you're going to be a tricksy little hobbit. So you need to stay in your lane and be peaceful and be getting money because the more bankroll you have, the better for opportunities later on. Right. Uh, your promissory note, if you didn't get all of your wormholes down, keep trying to get it out there. But again, never pay too much, uh, and it gets harder to put it down l- later in the game. Now you've got some ships above Baraglur to four, but you didn't get the wormhole there. Well, to get it down, you're going to have to make those ships go away and then time it out perfectly so that then your neighbor puts the wormhole where you need it. It gets really tricky. It's uh, If you can get it done round one, it is always better. Um, so let's talk about why we got Neuromotivator, and where we go from there. Uh, In the beginning of this episode, we talked down Dimensional Splicer. We talked down going deep into blue. We talked down PDS2. So what in the world, what are we even trying to do as the Ghost of Krius? Well, we expressed that you do not hold stuff very well. You have a hard time taking a planet and then also holding it. Right. And you don't have delays like Asarl does where you can just wait till the end of the round and then do all your actions, unless maybe you get a lot of command counters. That's kind of the other benefit of getting a lot of command counters. But here's what you want. You need infantry too. Uh, if you can skip Daxiv, if you can get Neural Motivator, Hyper Metabolism, Infantry 2, that is awesome. But Daxiv is still very, Daxiv's very okay. good. Daxiv is great for what you're going to be doing. Uh, then you want to either do Carrier 2 or Fighter 2, and then whichever one you didn't get, probably get the other one, because Fighter 2 is going to be hugely useful for you. Um, and to get all of these techs does not take very long. You need two green and Infantry 2, and then one more blue to get carrier two, or you can already you already qualify for fighter two. Your your tech path is really similar to soul. Basically, yes. your tech path is kind of setting you up to be like a tricksy soul, like yes. any sorrel soul. Right. And you get it just like so quickly. It's very easy to get kind of all three of these upgrades quickly. Mm-hmm. And you've got two and two colors. The only thing you don't have is two and four colors. So where do you go from there? Uh, again, I think there's lots of room to get more tech. I would say you don't need to, but I say aim for tech objectives. Aim for two in every color. Getting to Dimensional Splicer combos very well with Advanced Fighters. Right. You want to talk about gum, Ghost of Krias have some gum, and it's aggressive gum. Yeah. Uh, you get out there and you just send one fighter to a wormhole that someone left something in, you blow up whatever that is, and you get to pick what it is. It's amazing. It's yeah. so cheap, it costs you nothing, and you just blow stuff up. Talk about bubble trouble. Double, <laughs> bubble trouble. Um, here's, here's what I would outline is actually the dream to have as the Ghost of Krius. And this is, this is, we're talking Magic Christmas Land. We got every single tech, the whole game that we wanted. But you, I think anti-mass is good. Mm-hmm. Being able to jump through uh, asteroid fields was always useful. Anytime I didn't have anti-mass, there was some move I wanted to do. And I was like, man, if I just had anti-mass, this movement would actually be right, useful. Right, yeah. Th- their movement is so insane that things like asteroid fields will actually get yes. in their way reliably right. because they have so many options. Exactly. Um, so anti-mass, gravity drive. Sarween tools and transit diodes because being able to warp your ground forces around right. is going to be amazing. 
neural motivator and hypermetabolism. But again, if you have Daxiv instead of hyper, that's okay. Maybe you still get hyper later. I don't know. Uh, plasma scoring and dimensional splicer. Just to plug this, the other reason dimensional splicer is so great is it lets you skip Majin. It is a replacement for Majin defense right, grid. Right. It is like that alone makes it an amazing tech just because like I can go up red path and get something useful on the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you end up with infantry two, fighter two, and eventually PDS two. Right. It'd be great to have with all of these other combos going on. Um, notice I didn't go deep into any of those trees. I got basically the first two from everything except for transit diodes. Um, but even to say this, I mean, graviton laser systems, if you're going the PDS route is great. Right. Right. So you have options in every single tree. I don't think it's worth it to go deep into anything right. because it takes too long. And it like with with go with staying shallow, you're constantly benefiting yourself in little ways that are always immediately valuable. You'll notice here I haven't really talked about Dreadnought two yet. Uh, I I do prefer getting Carrier two over Dreadnought two once I've gotten my two blues and whatnot. Mainly because I never was able to use Dreadnoughts super well with this strategy that I'm doing. Uh, Dreadnought 2s actually tended to slow me down since I could only carry one ground force at a time. And I would actually bring a fully loaded carrier with a bunch of fighters and, and a few ground forces then like have to coordinate a fleet around a dreadnought to make that work that being said once you've gotten kind of the other important things i think dreadnought 2 is fine to add to the list but me personally i would rather have infantry 2 fighter 2 and carrier 2 over infantry fighter and dreadnought 2 i want to talk real quick about the hypermetabolism versus daxiv thing because i think daxiv is really really cool with this infantry 2 strategy but i just want to point out that the reason that Matt is recommending Hyper a little bit more than Daxiv is because of how many times he ran into command counter problems. Every time. So, obviously, if you're in a situation where I'm not really that worried about command counters, Daxiv is Mm -hmm. cool. Like, the idea that you're going through the wormhole, popping some guys down, uh, and then when you win the fight, you get the extra guy. Like, like, I I got to see you use that one time, and it was really cool. If you have Mir... And Mechatol Rex or something. I'm not recommending ghosts go for Mechatol Rex, but if you, I mean, it is a huge influence planet, and you might be the person that happen. you might be the person that denies Mechatol Rex from other people. Because again, you're not even necessarily trying to go for Imperial. You're very good at scoring secret objectives and other mm-hmm. things as long mm-hmm. as you set yourself up. So you could be a person who just camps on Mechatol for the influence. And if you do that, you don't need a hypermetabolism. But I think that perfectly transitions us into talking about command counter economy in general. What's going to be, what are you normally going to be left with? You are going to have very few command counters. Uh, I don't like pulling command counters from fleet supply, but in multiple games I had to do it leading into round two Mm -hmm. just to give myself the options to still have a decent round two. There are going to be lots of games where your round two is very command counter starved because there's a lot of things, like we said earlier, you're trying to accomplish round one. So... I was constantly afraid of command counters. I think as ghosts beyond round two, you should take leadership every single time it is available to you. Right. Unless there is some incredibly obvious way you're going to score a victory point with something else this round. But like that is a very few and far between scenario. If leadership is available, you should jump on it right now. Right, right. That goes for kind of what we were saying earlier too about the politics play. Picking politics means round two, I can pick leadership. Mm-hmm. And immediately fix the fact that I starved myself out of command counters round one. I think leadership is probably the best round two strategy card pick. Sure. Trade will be useful as well, but you're getting the most use out of trade round one, where nobody else is able to take advantage of it. I mean, I think for the very first time with Ghost, I would maybe, 
if I needed it round two, I would maybe actually secondary trade, like actually spend yeah, possibly. The, like if if you if I got leadership, right? If I got leadership, I would maybe like because the thing that's interesting about actually spending the strategy is that you kind of get to insert yourself into right. the trade discussion. Right. So I mean, I I'm not saying that. You should always do this, but it's an interesting idea with ghosts. It's one of the few factions we would say maybe, 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 you maybe do that's that. a thing. Um, so, all that being said, basically, you're you're trying to line yourself up with this shallow tech strategy. Uh, you're trying to trade a lot. What could have gone wrong? God, early? so many. A lot. Uh, and almost a whole ev- episode yeah. about that. Every game, something did go wrong for me. Uh, the biggest things, though, are. If trade is across the table from you and there's no way for you to get ships adjacent yeah, to them to trade with them, bummer. that hurts a lot. That is very, very detrimental to you. You are not going to be able to get the money that you need to get. Um, you're, you're not going to get both a tech and a carrier, and that sucks. Um, the other things that could go wrong is you didn't get a single wormhole down with Creus IFF. That is okay. It's just going to be more difficult to get them down later. And I do think it's very, very important to get those wormholes in your pie slice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's improving your mobility. It's letting you do more in the mid game. And it's improving the defensive capabilities of your pie slice. Let's say you decide to go for dimensional splicer fairly quickly. You know, if you, I still think you do the infantry two thing, but let's say immediately after infantry two, you want to get dimensional splicer. Wormholes in your pie slice make your pie slice easier to defend. You score a hit anytime anyone tries to invade your stuff. Right, that right. is great. Um, you, it's a good deterrent. It's a good deterrent. Um, you're also very likely command counter starved after round one. That's yeah. almost a given. Right. Um, we did recommend that you basically do use all. Ev- of your yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Counters. You're sending your destroyers to like multiple locations, probably, and you're spending a lot. So you need to get your command counter back online, and you probably made at least one enemy. Just straight up, almost every game, you're going to make one enemy. Mm-hmm. Maybe not even directly, but like something you did, someone's not cool with. Someone's mad that you made a good deal with whoever. You know, the person that you gave the speaker token to, to your right, the person to their right is not pleased right, is with annoyed. the fact that they are now going last. Yeah, the other thing, too, is, like, because you can get to so many different places, even if you have no intention of being aggressive, right. just the nature of that is... Threatening. Oh, uh-oh. Like, you yeah. know, that I would have... Like, when I was your neighbor uh, as Hakan in the game we played recently, I would just be like, man, Matt can just get over here and mess with my stuff. Yes. And you did. Right. It's And it's it's especially frightening because, like, you can get into people's home systems round right, one. Right, You probably won't because that would be very ballsy, but everyone looks at you and goes, mm, ghosts, you better, you better not do anything to... And just, like, everyone's looking for you to ruin their day. Yeah. You, and yeah. you need to Ugh. protect yourself against that. So if you made... If you see anyone who is your enemy going into round two, you need to find ways to either reconcile that scorned relationship or you need to find ways to protect against reassure it. people that you're not going to do that thing right. that would mess up their whole thing right like the early game that you that you don't have enough to gain from it because if people get defensive towards you early it can it can really mess yeah, you up definitely let's talk counters Ooh, not oh. command counters i feel like it's always confusing oh, yeah. <laughs> that we go from command counters into counters into counters yeah. uh yeah let's talk who ghosts counter obviously Nobody. Nobody. There's nothing. I don't. If you can give me some um, ideas, but like, I don't think ghosts hard counter anyone. There, there are there are factions that they can like do some things to. I'll say this much uh, before you like start typing up your response to me. We're gonna have a lot of honorable mentions. So it's not that they're not good against some people, but I don't think they hard counter anyone. Uh, But who counters us? 
honestly, I'll even still say not that many people. I, I don't think anyone has just like nobody's just like, oh, I destroy mobility. Like, no, yeah, that's you, you don't you don't have put a stop. That's to mobility. essentially the whole thing, though, is is if your advantage is mobility, that doesn't that's not like the potential for that to be a counter right. to anyone is completely depends on the game itself. Right. Uh, but that but being said... Extra. Right. Extra <laughs> is just not a pie slice you can typically go to. Right. Uh, I had one game where Extra was my neighbor, and I was Ghosts, and just their flagship being on the board, putting Space Cannon adjacent to a bunch of different tiles that I potentially want to go to, that sucks. It's really hard right. to maneuver where you want to go when that flagship is on the board. That's a lot of tiles you can't go to. Right. So uh, I, w- I would call extra a hard counter. Everything else is not necessarily, though. Right. Um, so let's talk about these honorable mentions, because there's a lot. Um, the first honorable mention revolves around Dimensional Splicer. We didn't recommend going straight for Dimensional Splicer, but Dimensional Splicer is a great technology when it is useful. Right. And when you the, the best way to use it is destroying... Um, obviously you get to pick what you kill. So mm-hmm. being able to snipe through and take out targets that they really don't want you to take is the best use of that. Uh, I'm thinking Nalu. If Nalu has a fighter fleet that's per- that is all protecting one carrier, if you are able to get the wormhole in the right place at the right time, again, this is all very situational, but if you can do it, you snipe that Those fighters carrier. will still fight through the fight sure but you but kill the thing dead after. yes they, and, they, and they won't be able to well even their advanced fighters will survive but the point is nalu is hurt very badly when they lose all their ships that let them take planets right. fighters are not when winning the game for nalu alone right, right fighters are protecting things that are doing other stuff uh, another one i i think dimensional splicer is great against yin you take out a destroyer so that they don't get to target you with something, or you right. take out their carrier that's trying to bring their ground forces there's multiple targets that yin is going to have that you can take advantage of. Uh, and the last one is the Embers of Muat. No, you can't kill the, the uh, War Sun right. outright, but you can get one hit on it, and then oh, and we, they're in trouble. We probably should have mentioned that you cannot direct hit Dimensional Splicer. That's true. You cannot use direct so hit. So it's not, it's not a perfect scenario, because you can't use Dimensional Splicer, hit the War Sun, and then blow it up, because direct hit is worded as coming from one of your units. Right. And Dimensional Splicer has been confirmed by Dane to not come from one of your units. Right. It's one of the few instances where direct hit doesn't get to apply. Uh, what else is a, uh, is a honorable mention? We, like we said earlier, I don't advise doing this, but you can threaten people's home systems round one. You can blockade someone's home system. Uh, the people that are always the most afraid of this are Muat. With a bullet. Yeah, that's like Muat hates the idea that Ghost is near them. Just from the from the get go, uh, Winu. This is terrifying for Winu and Arborek. Arborek would hate to see their space dock blockaded before they can get their second carrier out there. Mm-hmm. That is that's going to ruin their day. This would be a very mean thing to do. I only threatened it once and was immediately told, "If you do this to me, I will ruin your life." I, I don't recommend doing it, basically. But yeah. the threat is there, and if you see someone, if if an Arborek got everything else handed to them they got everything they needed and you have no other way to like slow them down throwing that destroyer there might be something or at the very least if no one's willing to trade with you the threat of putting it there you might have to extort your money out of them i again don't love doing that but if if all other options have been exhausted then maybe you do that uh and the only other honorable mention is 
we are, if we get our upgraded infantry and we get where we want to get kind of random spaces on the board, we are good at taking planets, or we're okay at taking planets. And so that meaning we take planets that are not super well defended, so the, maybe the planets that Sol and Arborek haven't focused on, we're a decent race at kind of like culling Sol and Arborek back a little bit. You're not countering Sol and Arborek. You're not ruining well, the, their day. The goal is to get there first. The goal is to get there first before they can put anything down. And even if you didn't get there first, you might be able to get there before they get too many ground forces down. But definitely the goal is, oh man, Sol wants to get to Baraglitter 4. Me and Sol are neighbors. Right. I can just get there though. I, right. just, I can just get to go to Baraglitter 4 and I keep them off of it. And that right. saves my game. Sol doesn't love that you do it, but like, what else are they going to do that early? Right. So um, take take equidistant systems early from races that you know that that's going to be a threat if they get there first. Sometimes you might be able to talk with your neighbor and be like, eh, I would like to take it. What what can we do? How can we negotiate this? But with people like Sol and Arborek, just go there. Get it. Take it from them. What makes us a superpower is an interesting question with the Ghost of Creus because we said that they are situational. Um, superpowers are usually something that you can rely on and you don't really have anything that you can rely on as the Ghost of Creus. But you... Um, you... First off, we've already talked about this. You are the most mobile race. That's definitely your best power. The fact that you can just show up where people weren't expecting. Uh, that's a big deal. But the other kind of interesting note about the Ghost of Creus is they can have some of the best stuff in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to get there. Our strategy guide was not revolved around getting these things. But if you have a decent early and mid game, it can lead to some very powerful late games. Uh, just to run down the list a little bit, you have the best war sons in the game. Your war sure. sons are better than even upgraded Muat war sons because they have four movement with your gravity right. drive and slipstream. Right. Your war sons really get places people weren't expecting. Uh, you also have the best PDS game, but PDS in the game. We we mentioned your PDS this. can hit more spaces hit than anybody than anybody else's. Uh, that that is a big deal. Uh, and you can also control where those spaces are. Again, if you put four PDS on Barragler to four and then throw an alpha wormhole there. That's kind of a big deal. Uh, you also have some of the best pre-combat abilities in the game. Mentac gives them a run for their money, but Dimensional, Dimensional Splicer, Splicer plus Assault Cannon is a big deal. Plus, any PDS you have firing through wormholes, the, the situational nature of this is this always has to be occurring in wormhole systems, but hopefully you're controlling that. It, it's tricky and it's difficult, and I'm not saying it's amazing, but like it seems important to point out that... like you have some of the best versions of units of any one in the game. If Essentially, you can get there. in like a theory crafty way. And it's like how we started the episode. This is like one of the coolest races, mm-hmm. if not the coolest race. Yeah. You're, you have the potential to do some insane stuff. And there are, I'm sure, some anecdotes out there of ghost games where when they got to the late game, it was really, yes. really scary. Right. But the counterbalance of that is that early game hard. Yeah. You're really easy to stop early game. So... Where are you trying to find your victory and have that be reliable is stay in the shadows. This is kind of like our Winu suggestion. Mm-hmm. Don't take a lead. Be very, very, very careful. You are Isarl without the especially powerful benefits. You are you are Isarl light. So do not go do not get over eager. Do not take leads. Your best case scenario is you end round five, or you, or you start round five or six at like six points and a ton of command counters and access to a lot of systems in the game and you plan on the next round going from six to ten victory points right you need big swings right. in the late game stay in the herd exactly until you can do finish. not do not that's why there, that's there's the two reasons why you don't stretch out early 
is one, you're being aggressive and that's making you enemies, and getting to the top of the victory point track is even more of a threat. Like, people mm-hmm. will not do anything to help you in the mid-game if you're at four points by the end of round two or three. Like, right. if you're in the lead, that's a, the worst thing you need to be. Yes, stay in the herd and be keeping such a level economy, command counter-wise, everything else-wise. Like, keep your stuff safe so that when you need to flip the switch on to suddenly take a bunch of stuff in one round, you're ready to do that. Because you need to be able to do that at any moment. The worst games I had were when, man, if I just could take that one planet over there, I could win this. But I'm out of command counters. There's, I, I, My fleets can't get big enough because I had to pull from fleet supply too many times or whatever. There are lots of reasons why you can ruin your own game by just not having your economy working for you. Right. So stay in the pack. Stay fair and even, keep your money controlled, and you might be able to swing a victory in the mid to late game. And that's it. We did it. Good job. More than an hour on just the guide. We gotta we gotta jump into some errata. Hello, uh, cats and turtles. Whoa. Wow, you guys have names now. Hey there, cats and turtles. Welcome to Space Cats Peace Turtles Errata. <laughs> Hey there, cats and turtles. Welcome to Space Cats Peace Turtles Errata, uh, the podcast where you let us know what you thought about that stuff we said, and oh yeah, you you love it. A lot of talk uh, for the L1Z1 mm-hmm. um, episode last week. A lot of it was about inheritance systems, but we yeah. I, I don't want to cart before the horse it. Let's... Let's just jump right into it, Let's shall jump we? In Let's it. do it. We've we had a lot, a lot, did a lot of work. This episode is coming long. This one is a big one. We don't have time. Reddit, we'll quit wasting time. Sorry, apologize. I'm sorry. I yelled at you, Hunter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this first one's from Reddit Twilight Imperium. It's from Edawir, who had a very, very long post about inheritance. Very systems. good. Very good post. We're yes. gonna summarize it. Um. I will be making the argument that inheritance systems is not only a bad choice for the early game, but indeed a bad tech overall, down to the level of mage and defense grid and worse. It makes technology more expensive, more erratic, harder to apply, and worst of all, slower for you than it is for your competitors. Uh, Edawir then went on to break down each of those four things, why it is more expensive, why it is more erratic, why it is harder to apply, and why it is slower, each of them being... All from the perspective more of, this isn't like a disagreement with our opinions on inheritance systems, but this is kind of like... It's a good context. The reason why you do not rush for inheritance systems is sort of what Edawir outlined. I I highly recommend you go read his post. It's the top uh, reply on our Twilight Imperium subreddit post. Uh, But he continues to say... I acknowledge the idea that it is helpful to buy situational upgrades, but I doubt that every game will have situations where a specific tech is necessary to get a VP every round. You are not a weak race in search of tricky shenanigans to survive. You are a solid race and should be able to build a strong base without burning nine resources and becoming able to attempt to score a potential VP maybe for this round only. Whatever VP that is, you are paying more than double for it, and you shouldn't be. I feel like... We agree and disagree. Right. Um, so essentially, I think the reason that I like inheritance systems uh, is is for the situational up. It's it, okay. It's not only for situational upgrades. It's for the fact that you can buy the situational upgrade within the round that you right. are in. You currently. get it the moment you need it. Right. So being able to do that is what those extra two resources are for. 
Um, I am not recommending that you use inheritance systems to buy all of the tech right. that you need. Like, it's not get inheritance systems and then just start going wild for right. tech. You can stay in your tech path, but the idea that you will be able to jump to an x89 or an assault cannon right. or um if you need it if you needed it in that moment and right. it really is it's really just those three tech and then war sun and besides right. that most things are within your tech path yeah. that was pointed out but the thing is one of those things is war sun one of those things is light wave deflector one of those things is assault cannon and the other is x89 and really they're the only race that could potentially yeah. make use of we weren't X89. saying they have a great use of x89 we were saying they're kind of the only ones that can actually take advantage of it in a realistic sense but if we're looking at it as those four tech right uh i can see a lot of games where up, yep. oh, i'm gonna need that this time yeah but like let's say let's look at the alternative the alternative is i commit to just one of those basically right and maybe it won't be useful in this game, right. but maybe one of those will. Um, I think the other point, though, too, is like Edoir is coming again from going Inheritance first. We didn't say that. We said go Dreadnought first. And people later pointed out, like, okay, well, if you go Dreadnought, then Inheritance, you're talking really late game by that point. And that's sort of true, but you're also fulfilling a lot of the requirements out there. Uh, to get Dreadnought 2, get to your two blue, and then to transition into Inheritance systems is the two yellow you need. Also remember, we were very staunch supporters of if you have the yellow tech skip, it's worth doing. If you do not have the yellow tech skip, you need to really reevaluate if you're doing the inheritance systems right. things or not. Right. It really may not be worth it if you have to get Graviton laser systems on the way. Yeah. If you can just go straight from Dreadnought 2 into inheritance systems, its viability becomes much more relevant. Right. You might yeah, if you don't have that yellow skip, it might not be worth going outside of just your tech path that you have in front of you. I mean, grabbing things like Daxiv and Hypermetabolism right. or Fleet Logistics and then just getting up to Lightwave the normal way. If you don't have the Yellow Skip, maybe that's the game you go for. Yeah. But I feel like the Inheritance Systems play is just based around, like, what's the weird thing that's going to help me out of this situation? And honestly, a lot of times, if I got all my other tech set up, I would be like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. down for it. I do think there's situations where it's like, you know what? Actually, all I need to get the rest of this game is I decided PDS are good for me. So I just need plasma scoring and PDS 2. Or like, I just want to get Daxiv and Hypermetabol. Like, there are certainly games you do not need to get inheritance systems. Right. But we were pointing out how often it can be useful to have gotten it. By the time you realize you need inheritance systems and you didn't get it, it's too late. You're not going to go down that path now. But if you jump on it right off the back of uh, dreadnought super dreadnought 2 you might be able to get some work done right um the this is a this is probably a reference to something i have no idea so i'm going to pronounce it wrong but the grand gazinti kizinti gazinti i don't know uh patriarch as g thor followed up on edoir's points uh we were kind of just referencing this but they said in the case described in the episode it will be round four when you research it and by that point you will effectively have two blue Three yellow, one green, one red. The only tech outside of primary tech primary range is War Suns, Assault Cannon, and X-89 Bacterial Weapon. So the point being, if you take tech after you've gotten everything else we said, those are the only three things out of your reach. You could buy two tech and get anything else. Right. Um, you may as well have just bought the Assault Cannon and War Sun directly instead of going for Inheritance Systems, which... 
I disagree with because we didn't go down the war sun path. We don't have all that red tech. Right. Um, but inheritance systems can be efficient. It saves you huge amounts of time primarily, but is basically only viable if you have a yellow tech planet and can choose the tech strategy card. And I think that's like that last point is the big driving point. You need a yellow tech specialty, and throughout the game, you're going to need to have taken tech once or twice, which is why our strategy relied on you taking it early. See, that was the whole thing is like I wanted to get the tech stuff out of the way early game for L1. That way, late game, they could just be the powerhouse they are and just focus on that. If you're following our guide, you took tech early and you got Super Dreadnought down quickly. If you are not following our guide and you didn't take tech, then I don't think that's the route you should be going. Like, yeah, inherited systems will be too slow. Someone someone else pointed out about, like, if you never got to take tech, it's going to be super, super late game before you ever get to inherited systems. Like, yeah, that's why we didn't recommend doing it that way. You need to take tech a few times for this to be a viable strategy. Right. Um, So it's, it's, if you can't do what we're describing, don't do the last things we're describing. Do what works for you and your game. But inherited systems, if you're able to rush... Super Dreadnought 2 can be viable. Let's see. So the next one is from Katrinka. Mm-hmm. Um, Katrinka. Sarween Tools is definitely the better tech compared with Neural Motivate. Here we are. Uh, I have never won a game without acquiring Sarween Tools and have won a few without even considering Neural Motivator out of only the 10 or so games of TI4 that I have played. Personal anecdotes aside, Sarween is the more effective tech because its unique ability is exclusively acquired through its acquisition. Action cards can be acquired by completing the secondary or primary ability of the politics strategy card, plus Neural Motivator has a caveat, the seven card hand limit. If you're spending cards, this won't be a problem. However, drawing good cards that you cannot immediately use can become a problem, i.e. sabotage direct hit. There is no limit to free infantry and or fighters. Neglecting Sarween is an expense that no race can afford. Gauntlet Throne. Gauntlet Throne. Hunter and I are not going to provide any commentary. Consider, I think from now on, there is a special spot of the errata that is designated to the most recent part. Like next episode, we will do a neural motivator right. errata. And we're just, you guys are going, we are the vessel for your argument about neural motivator versus Sarween tools in perpetuity. Yep. Uh, so moving on, I don't even, I'm, I'm literally no, no, not doing anything We have else. nothing to say. Von Ron says, I do have experience of making the promissory note work. Yay! We always love getting these. Yeah, we fun. need this. All right, so let's hear what it is. Uh, caveat. It's the only time I have played L1Z1X, and it is more or less situational depending on how much you reason the circumstances or arguments. Uh, I love that this starts off with this point being kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> This is when I used it, but we'll see. So here are this the circles. To be fair to like Von Ron, though, this is what we asked. Yeah, for. this is exactly. Like, no, I love it. I, I'm not dogging on him. So circumstances were, I had only high influence, low resource planets in my pie slice. Ugh. So I needed trade goods. One of the initial public objectives was lead from the front. So a command counter was worth one third of a VP. The other races were Hakan, able to trade, uh, and with a surfeit of you are using some big word <laughs> von ron's got good vocabulary <laughs> better than me uh you, you got a lot hakan's got lots of trade goods arborex there sardax there so what von ron was able to do is multiple trades of the promissory note highest price three trade goods they needed it for a vp lowest price four commodities from hakan for three trade goods they didn't need a vp and it was just situational and part of a pattern of friendly trading we had the arguments specific to the promissory note i used to trade it away were it is part of a vp that's what got the best price 
you don't have you don't have enough command counters this turn or round, and uh, to use it during the end of a round, you won't have enough command counters next round. Um, or also just throwing it in to sweeten another agreement or arrangement. So just kind of like throwing it out there often, which I think is partially what we tried to recommend. It's not something that ever worked for us, but like just always reminding people that you have it and it's there right. to like be traded is useful. I do think the fact of like Von Ron had the influence high pie slice, what that usually means is nobody else has an influence. Like if you got all the influence right. planets, no one right. else has influence, right. which means it just became even more valuable. It's not just that you have a lot of influence, but that nobody else has influence. And yeah, uh, definitely the best case scenario is that that... Uh, victory point comes out because then command counters are even more valuable so i I love this this is like probably one of the only situations where like you're going to be able to milk it for all it's worth for sure yeah for sure all right this next one is from gordy hay in one of our games i was the arborek and the l1 z1x were in the game the l1 player went down the big fleet route five super dreads and flagship and used a wormhole to attack my home slice they had used inheritance systems to get x89 I lost all my space combats. No real surprise there. However, the L1 didn't bring any ground forces, WTF. So while they could always x89 my planets, they could never take control or get any VPs. So they rampaged around my slice trying to x89 my ground forces. I just ended up using bioplasmosis to move ground forces away from where I thought the next target would be. Also just spanning a ground force with mitosis. So to sum it up, if you're going to uproot, take... Yes. Yeah, this is again another another whole problem with x89 is right. you got to be able to finish the job and that takes time. Um, they didn't mention this, but that also is a boost to transit diodes. If you x89 an Arborek, if they have transit diodes next turn, they just throw four more ground forces over there. It's yeah. not a big deal. X89 is such a bad, such a bad tech. Yeah. There's the the prevailing thought used to be that it's better against Arborek than it is Soul x89 because yeah. a Soul player can just orbital drop. But if, it's not really good against It's either. not a good against either. Arborek can either bioplasmosis or transit diodes. And especially if they haven't activated that system that you just x89'd, like I just said, they transit diodes, and then they build four more ground forces. They immediately just got eight ground forces right. back on the planet. Like I will say, it's still potentially... It's useful. still maybe there! It's I don't still know. maybe there. It's just not good against the ground force specialist. And you, but anybody else, it should work, right? Should it? Shouldn't it? It's just never worth it. It's just not good. There's no way to recommend X89. Yeah, I know. Robofish, though, from Board Game Geek, <laughs> says, uh, one thing that I think gets overlooked in Harrow, the ability that lets you bombard a lot, is how it works in multi-planet systems. Normally, you have to divide bombardment between planets and the mine net do in the step before landing, but at the end of each round, all of your ships bombard each planet. Mine net ground forces are just standing around while the fleet does all of the work. Uh, we probably barely mentioned this in the episode, if at all. Uh, but yeah, that is the power of uh, of Harrow. It's not that you're doing it every round. It's that you're doing it with every single ship every single round right. on every single planet. Right. And I mean, it's kind of the problem of why Gordy Hay had this Arborek issue is that like... L1Z1X doesn't have a huge incentive to bring very many ground forces. Right. Uh, you, you kind of just bring a couple and you let the bombardment do all of the work. So uh, chalk that up to we should have talked about that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Harrow is amazing. Man, you know what, Hunter? I think Harrow's the, I think Harrow's the best ability in the game. Oh, it'd be it's so amazing. Cool. It'd it's be so cool it's happening they... again. I love them. I love them. <laughs> if anyone thinks that Lizix Mindnet is not the be- new best race in the game, 
I don't understand where you're. Yeah, I don't from. get it either, and I would like to specifically hear exactly you. what you have to say. Yeah. It's time. It's, it's time. time. God, this episode has been far too long. How long has this episode been? Very long. Very long. Really long. So and very. I gotta be honest, guys, I'm really hungry. Um, <laughs> I'm really, really hungry right now. Okay, so ugh, let's get through this. Oh, hey, uh, do we want to mention uh, at the top before we even get into the rundown that uh, let's just. Tomorrow at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we will be on YouTube streaming. Uh, and the reason we're doing this is because we're going to hit 100,000 downloads. Yeah, we didn't probably. say this at the top of the show. Right. Well, well maybe maybe you I probably inserted it. it. Yeah, he probably Keep inserted going. it. But yeah, we're getting 100,000 downloads this week. Uh, help us get there, you help know? Help us get there. We would love to see it happen on Wednesday. Uh, I kind of mathed this out last week, and that's kind of theoretically when we would get it. But if you want to throw an extra download yeah, you know, our like way, maybe, maybe. Show your dad, show your mom, <laughs> show your cousin. But no, we, we are really hoping that we hit 100,000 downloads during our live stream. We'll pop the champagne and, and have a little fun. That's why we wanted to do this stream. So please join us and help us celebrate. We're going to have a completely stupid game yeah tomorrow and have a glass of champagne with us yeah. in the, in the, on the middle of the day on yeah. a Wednesday. <laughs> Guys, it's rundown time. You can go to our Twitter, Space Cats Pod, uh, for game updates and announcements. We also sometimes uh, will update it with live game information if I remember to do it. Yeah. Um, you can check out our Facebook as well, Space Cats Peace Turtles, for announcements and questions. Uh, you can go to the Reddit Twilight Imperium for the weekly post and discussion. That's how you get your comments into the errata. Mm -hmm. The other way you can do that is go to our Board Game Geek Guild for discussions, and you can also check out the calendar there. Which is currently wrong. Right. Currently uh, wrong. I'm going to edit it here in the next day or so, but we are not doing Hakan next week. Nope. Uh, we're going to do a Galactic Council episode. So right. sorry for those of you who have been really waiting for Hakan and Yin. We're putting it off one more week. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, you can email us at spacecatspeaceturtles at gmail. Um, and we prefer you to send this Imperium Life Stories to that email and also Plays of the Week. Uh, I need more Plays of the Week. We've kind of caught up to our backlog. Send us your Plays of the Week. And remember, Plays of the Week are different from this Imperium Life in, in a very specific way. This Imperium Life is like, tell me the whole story. Right. Give me the details of the game. I want every bit of it. Play of the Week is, give me the the piece i mean just like that play that was awesome you can ignore all the context of who ended up winning right, right. tell me who had that killer round two play right i don't care but but I'm, I'm running a little bit low and when you do a play of the week remember it's not about the entire game it is about a moment that was awesome just the cool trick you yeah, did basically yeah. um you can check out our patreon space gets beast turtles patreon uh to contribute to this show and actually help make the podcast better and also, obviously, help us to uh, cover the uh, Twilight Imperium tournament at Gen Con mm -hmm. this year that we are super excited about. Yep. Um, we've got, you know, we bought the, we've got hotels. We have our tickets out. our hotels. We've we're got getting there. And that's all been because of the Patreon that we've right. been able to get these things. We don't have to dispose of our own income. We're we going to have gear there. Gonna, yes, it's things are coming awesome. together, and it is because of our Patreoners. Um, let's, uh, let's make sure we mention to check out our discord for fun conversation yes. patreon benefits and other things i also let, uh, let try and get people to come to sh my comedy shows yep. there i'll say this much too on the discord uh if we're talking about galactic uh council episode being next week 
If you do the $5 donation to become a Galactic Council, you can help us decide next week's episode. We haven't decided it yet, right. and we're going to be debating it for the next couple days before we need to record it. So get in there and help us decide what next episode is And ch- check out be. the memes. Yeah, come check out our memes. Uh, please rate us on your podcast app of choice, uh, especially Apple Podcasts yeah. and iTunes. That helps with vis- visibility of the show. Um, and now I want to thank some Patreoners real quick. I want to thank... John C. Myers. I want to thank Nicholas Lundberg, and I want to thank Chisel, 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 Old Chisel, Old Chisel. Um, and then I've got something really specific to me. Uh, I want to throw some comedy dates out you, out at you. Uh, I'm going to be doing a little bit of traveling, a tiny bit of uh, comedy traveling this upcoming weekend. On Friday, May 18th, I will be performing at the Cap City Comedy Club in Salem, Oregon. Uh, for a show called Friday Night Funny. That starts at 9.30 p.m. Uh, on Saturday, May 19th, I'm going to be at Jai Tai in Seattle, Washington, uh, doing a show called Roast Beef. That starts at 9 p.m. And on Sunday, May 20th, I will be at the Highline Bar in Seattle, Washington, uh, featuring for a very, very funny Seattle comic uh, called Tyler Schnupp. Uh, and that also starts at 9 p.m. And also, kind of on top of that, just putting out a general thing, Obviously, Saturday and Sunday during the day, I will be in Seattle. I will probably be trying to get together a Twilight Imperium game while I'm there, or maybe just hanging out. Feel free to hit me up. Yeah, Uh, do it on our Discord, too. That's probably the best spot. I mean, Twitter and anything else will work, too. But if you join our Discord, we do lots of organizing games there. So there's a whole specific channel for, like... Also, there's a whole specific... Because I'm actually very bad at watching the Discord, and I'm a very busy, important person. (laughs) Um, So I have a... Okay. I have a I have a special channel, so if you specifically want to hit me up, uh, pop into that channel. Also, just slide into my DMs. I don't care. Yeah. Um. Let's do that play of the week. Yes. Um. I hope everyone listens to this part. I know the rundown kind of runs long for us, but I hope everyone sticks around for the plays of the week because yeah. they're like one of my favorite That's parts your of the treat show. At the end. Yeah. So uh, this play of the week is brought to us by Vera, or Vera. Gonna, <laughs> it's two R's in a row. I'm gonna roll. I'm gonna roll it. Vera. Um. Actually, Vera was. Very long um, and very good, but again, I wanted to just bring it down to the nugget of the play of the week. Right. I wanted to just get the play. Um, but to give you some context, Vera gave me a uh, long epic story about stretching too thin as Hakan, uh, having their home plants taken away, making some last-ditch efforts at secret objectives on the board where Jolnar and Necro were working very closely together. The end of the game was a Jolnar victory due to representative government, where everyone gets one vote during the agenda phase, being played when Shard of the Throne was revealed. Uh, sorry, representative government being in play when Shard of the Throne was revealed. Uh, and during that same agenda, both of the action cards that add votes to agendas were played. Uh, but Jolnar had bribery, which gives you trade goods, and they're Jolnar, so they have ERES siphons, so they have a lot of trade goods. So they Jolnar won the game by bribing a huge vote for the Shard of the Throne for the victory. But the reason Jolnar got to this point is because of this week's play of the week. Uh, It's worth noting that Jolnar is one position ahead of Necro in speaker order. So Jolnar is to the right of Necro at this Mm -hmm. table. Jolnar and Necro had been plotting all game together. More to the benefit of Jolnar, but Necro or Jolnar would take politics, 
Then, Necro or Jolnar, whoever didn't take politics, would take technology. Necro would always give Jolnar speaker, so Necro or Jolnar could always go first, Necro could always go second. They could keep control of this. This is very similar to how we described a trade triangle last right, week. Right. Uh, then, Jolnar would send fighter twos into Necro's systems for her to fight, and Jolnar also gave the Necro their support for the throne. Uh, this strategy was inspired by the trade triangle mentioned in the last podcast. However, it was intended to starve everyone else of tech, which it mostly did. I got politics once, and tech was taken twice by other people. But besides that, everyone was very low tech. So wow. Necro and Jolnar controlled not only the tech game, but for Necro, this is controlling the command counter game. Every time Jol or every time Necro is getting technology in this deal, they're getting way more command counters. Wow. Uh, that's crazy. I'll say this much, too. I thought this was a fun thing to kind of theorycraft for a minute. Like, what's the best way for Jolnar and Necro to have this relationship? I agree that, like, one of them needs to be... They need to be adjacent so that they can take advantage of the speaker order thing. But I thought it was interesting that Jolnar chose to give Necro their support for the throne. Because what that meant is... It kept Necro at bay a little bit. Necro had no reason to attack Jolnar, but mm -hmm. I also think it's a missed opportunity because if Jolnar has E-Res siphons, all that ever has to happen is Necro attacks Jolnar. Right. Jolnar gains four trained goods. Necro gains attack. I don't know, Hunter. Which do you think is, like, the better version? Would you rather be Jolnar and give out a support for the throne to be doing these deals, or would you rather let Necro kind of attack you at your cheap fleets i don't un really understand actually because if jolnar gives necro support for the throne and then necro a attacks jolnar's... no 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 jolnar is attacking necro why is jolnar attacking necro? he's just sending a fighter in so that oh, they keep the deal going we're, I just, see. we're just working together I'm just, i see I'm here's a fighter here's, here's one fighter blow it up get a tech uh no i actually think that kind of counterbalances it then. yeah uh, if Jolnar is literally feeding Necro and having to do that way and having to sacrifice their own command right. counters in order to do it, uh, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. I think that's okay. Yeah. I think the other version that could work is is the E-Res siphons things, letting Necro attack into you, but then, like, making it worth... I don't know. There's there's a lot of ways that those two can have a fun relationship. Mm -hmm. I think people always talk about, like, ooh, Necro's just going to feed off of Jolnar and tear him up. But it's like, mm, I think Jolnar can find many, many ways to profit right. off of Necro wanting to feed off Jolnar. I do right. not think it is a one-sided thing. Um, so, I think it's super cool. I think it's super cool. It is worth noting that Jolnar is the one who won the game and got the better end of the deal here. But right. uh, that could easily be swayed a different way if Necro got the objectives in the right order i'll say this it's not as solid as the trade triangle no exactly basically. so the trade triangle is like impossible to stop this right. one there's not that many rounds you can definitively make sure the speaker token is in the right spot every right. time at some point there's gonna be a round where oh it broke we're gonna have to fix it next round or whatever right. um, but yeah i love this i want to it's been a long time since we've really played with jolnar just kind of been actively avoiding them for a while, and I really hope we get a game with Jolnar and Necro in it soon. I want to do I want to do a stream. I keep having ideas for streams. I want to do a stream where we play all the the primo races. Yeah. I want to play all. I want I want three combos. Yeah. Like I want Mentakakon, Jolnar, Necro, and Something what's the other? What's, what's the, the other one? What's Tell the other us. combo? Tell us. Yes. That's it. Tell <sighs> us. Tell I, us and goodbye. I, Hunter's gonna I, eat I some food. Eat. I'm so hungry. Oh, Hunter. I'm so hungry. What are you gonna eat? What do you think? hamburger yeah there's a place right just by so my you guys house. know I, there's this really good place in hillsdale uh that you guys should all check burger out burger stevens burger stevens it is a food truck they do burgers and oh they do them right every week hunter comes over to my house to record 
He shows up with a burger and a basket of fries and a little doc, a glass bottle Dr. Pepper. And he makes me put on the teapot because he wants some chai tea while we record. That's why if you ever hear some slurping, that's Hunter and his chai tea. Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>